read them again together as we did last week, but in Jamie's translation. You've copyrighted this, Jamie. Yeah. It's very small. Um, some of you who passed your eye test can join in, others of you. <laughs> Let's um, read these together if you can. Are you poor? Do you know you're a failure? Congratulations. The kingdom of heaven is for you. Are you grieving and upset? Congratulations, you will be comforted. Have you given up fighting back and are just pinning your hopes on God, making things right? Congratulations, you're going to inherit the land. Are you hungry and thirsty for justice? Congratulations, you will get your fill of the justice you seek. Do you show... Do you show mercy to others? Congratulations, you will get mercy yourself. Are you pure in heart? Congratulations, you will see God face to face. Are you trying to make peace? Congratulations, you will be known as God's own child. Are you persecuted because your commitment to justice? Congratulations, the kingdom of heaven is for you. If people are disgusted at you, harm you, and tell lies about you because of me, congratulations. Celebrate it. You're in good company. The prophets before you were bullied and persecuted in just the same way. Jamie, the only reason Jamie could do it, because he, he knows it by heart. <laughs> Sorry, everyone else, it was very small. Um, so today we're thinking about uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Uh, a few weeks ago in our first sermon um, in this series, Blessed Are Those Who Are Poor in Spirit, uh, Amy was asking the question, who is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about individuals that find themselves poor in spirit, find themselves in whatever the Beatitudes are mentioning, or is it a list of attitudes or virtues or kind of like Jesus's list of fruits of the Spirit that Paul has. And um, as I was reading, I think in the same way that Amy was, uh, lots of people disagree quite strongly as to whether this is an either or. And um, in Amy's sermon, uh, I think she came to the conclusion that I did that maybe, maybe it could be both. <laughs> and I, I think it is. I think Jesus is on the one hand identifying and with the downtrodden and the broken and also inviting his followers to live according to a different rhythm and set of values as to the world. I think Jesus is speaking on two levels, just as Amy, you suggested in your talk. Um, so I'm going to just think about this beatitude for a while, this saying of Jesus. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Some would, we don't really use the word righteous, do we, apart from surfer dudes, righteous dude. <laughs> um, and I think very easily we jump to an idea of personal piety. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, 
for righteousness, for right living in their own life. And I don't think that's necessarily a wrong reading, but I think it probably might be wrong if we jump there too quickly. I think Jamie's translation of uh, congratulations to those who are seeking justice might fit better. Hunger and thirst would be very familiar to Jesus' hearers, but probably less so than us. I, um, I'm a big proponent of fasting for spiritual growth or focus, but I think I'm the worst person at fasting, in, probably in the world. I, I, I come up with um, any ingenious excuse why this would be a bad day to fast <laughs> and find myself at meetings that involve food. I think, well, I don't want to embarrass anyone by saying I'm fasting, so... Cream donut, yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Um, and uh, sometimes I might skip as many as miss two meals. And by the end of that day, I'm, I'm, I think I'm dying. <laughs> but I, I think I know nothing of hunger compared to those who are really hungry. And uh, many of the people would have hearing this teaching will know what it is like to be really hungry. Uh, perhaps more so, we might know what it means to be thirsty I don't think I've been really thirsty since I was a child. You know, when you've just been playing out for too long, <laughs> you'd realise that, oh my word, I'm so thirsty on a hot summer's day and you get home and just drink pints of water. Um, but there's not actually that many times in my life either that I find myself thirsty without the opportunity of, as soon as I realise I'm thirsty, quenching that thirst. Uh, I think something that we, in terms of this idea of needs that we could think of, uh, is um, I think we all will have found ourselves in situations where we really need the loo and there isn't one. Um, you know, and I, I'm not going to go into my greatest hits, but <laughs> I have quite a few. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbour and... Uh, <laughs> give some of your situations, but mine often involve public transport, um, either buses or packed, packed out trains. Um, hunger and thirst, it can be, uh, hunger, it can be like a dull ache, can't it? Um, but I have heard that it, it you know, hunger pangs, you know, it's acute pain, but thirst, if you're really thirsty, you can think of nothing else. You can, I can actually, I can carry on without eating, um, but if you're thirsty, all you can think about is, I need, I need to drink. Um, and uh, I think that Jesus' language is there to describe those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is uh, those who live with the dull ache around the world not being as it should be, uh, but also um, an acute pain as well. We could write a list a thousand things long of uh, places and areas in our world where uh, justice isn't seen. Uh, but I just thought of a few. Um, I've, I've been away to a few places over the past few weeks and I thought I'm not going to put pictures up of my holidays. But um, I went, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went to see some family in Dublin and um, I went to... Uh, the, one of the museums, the Emigration Museum there. Uh, it's just fascinating to see um, 
my, so my mom's Irish, so I have this kind of affinity, want to learn more about that uh, culture, and just um, learning about the oppression of the Irish people over the years, and how only, only it's 150 years ago or so, 170 years ago, since the potato famine, uh, and in that time, around the 1850s or so, 8 million people lived in Ireland, and now only 6 million people live in Ireland. So the population is actually less in Ireland than it was 150 years ago, because a million people died, and a million people fled. So it's a huge population collapse in a very short time. And I think the, uh, the thing that is most difficult, especially as a person who, as much as I might like to identify as Irish, because it seems a bit cooler. I am British in nearly every way. Um, the oppression of England against the Irish people who made hugely exasperated the uh, potato famine by taking other foodstuffs uh, away, exporting them. And um, just that longing for justice that... Uh, appeared within the risings in Ireland, uh, I suppose revolutions over that period, and eventually in the settlement of uh, the Republic. And uh, there's a people hungering and thirsting after righteousness, after justice. And as we'll know, that story isn't ended, and it's a complicated story. Uh, just... Um, a few days ago, I was, uh, it was a more sunny holiday in Croatia with my brothers and hearing the stories of those who suffered under communism. And, but even before that, Croatia, a kind of quite a lot like Ireland, was, it's like, been like a football passed between nations and superpowers, uh, almost always under the thumb. And now for the first time ever, it feels, or in a long time, many people in the country raising their heads, thinking, what do we do with this newfound freedom? And talking to people, because um, they've, just, they've just adopted the euro, and they're talking to people about their fears of um, what that would mean for their country. You know, we've just found this uh, freedom and sense of um, agency, and will this mean that we're kind of going to be under the thumb of another superpower? And actually hearing uh, that concern from people. Another thing of injustice is, uh, we think it's the day of Father's Day. Happy Father's Day, all of the fathers here. And knowing that that um, is, can be quite a complicated thing. I heard someone share about a... Um, a placement that they had in a women's prison. And uh, when it was Mother's Day, they would uh, all write cards to their mothers and send them off. Um, and they were still uh, at the, doing the placement by the time it came to Father's Day. And you notice, this is, the person said, um, well, why don't you do that as well for Father's Day? Don't you think that'd be a great idea? She said, yeah, oh, yeah, we tried that once. And no one wanted to write a card to their dad. There was, there was no one who who took that up. And um, just showing how um, dislocated, so, and, and what that, and I'm sure that will be a factor, the, the dysfunctional relationship that they had with a father uh, to why they find themselves in prison. It will, I'm sure it will be a factor. Um, 
And I think you know, many of you will know the personal situation that I've been in over the past year or so. And, but because of that, people are able to share with me, particularly dads who find themselves in a similar situation, um, their pains and the, their sense of injustice. Uh, I think for a while I thought um, my lot was uniquely bad. But then I hear the stories of other people and think, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to dads who never see their kids and, um, and long to uh, just be a father within a family and they feel that something's been taken from them. And uh, that is a, I'm sure that is a dull ache, but on days like today, I'm sure it's an acute pain. Another injustice I, I thought to share um, one of my friend's stories. This is Katie. She's um, one of the ministers at Lighthouse in Leeds. It's connected to St. George, St. George's um, Church, St. George's Crypt. And uh, I used to, um, I kind of knew Katie a little um, over the past five years or so. I used to think she was like the coolest person ever. And now that I know her much better, I know that she isn't. Um, <laughs> um, but she's been involved with um, Extinction Rebellion and uh, Just Stop Oil. And we'll have loads of different opinions about that. My opinions on those uh, two organizations are very different from Katie's. And yet, uh, because of the way that she wants to live out uh, her following of Jesus, she's got involved with these, with these things, it has amazing stories. She actually spent last Easter, not last Easter, Easter before, in uh, jail, in, in prison, in, um, in London. And then she got released because of an administrative error or something like that. Um, but such was um, her hunger and thirst for righteousness, which I think often was a dull ache and sometimes an acute pain, had she decided that it was worth it putting her... Uh, maybe not so much her life on the line, but certainly certainly her reputation, her ability to get a mortgage at some point else in her life, or um, it might bar her from certain employment. When I think of this saying, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I think um, there's much in my heart that needs to change. That if I'm honest, so I'm, you can reflect yourselves. I'll, I'll just share the honesty and you can think, oh, he's uniquely bad. Um, <laughs> my hungers and thirsts more align with the sayings within Ben Sira than they do uh, the, the sayings of uh, the Jesus who we follow. I hunger and thirst for my kids to do what I tell them, um, to be popular. Uh, to not embarrass myself by plowing with a donkey and an ox together. Um, someone asked Martin Luther, the German reformer, to describe sin. Uh, uh, like, what, 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 does, what is sin? And he responded with a Latin phrase, which means, um, sin is a person curved inwards on themselves. Sin is a person curved inwards on themselves. So it's the opposite of what Liz was encouraging us to think about in our confession, in, our, in the liturgy we shared. Uh, to, if, if sin is someone curved inwards, then to live righteously 
is someone stretched outwards uh, in love for God. As Jesus said, the two greatest commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It is so the opposite of sin being curved inwards is to be stretched outwards in love of God and towards love of neighbor. We explored a few weeks ago when we were thinking about lament, when we had that amazing service with um, the crafts and the prayer zone and the song that we wrote. And we were thinking about Jesus being, having this amazing capacity to engage with the pain and the stories of others, how he was the most human human who has ever lived. He has this um, most incredible bandwidth to just... Um, of, of emotion, to be able to engage with emotion. And when I see the way Jesus interacts with so many different people that are hurting within the Gospels, uh, and then I reflect on my own capacity, my own capacity is much smaller. Charles Spurgeon, he said this uh, in a sermon on this passage. Alas, says he, It is not enough for me to know that my sin is forgiven. I have a fountain of sin within my heart, and bitter waters continually flow from it. Oh, that my nature could be changed, so that I, the lover of sin, could be made a lover of that which is good, that I, now full of evil, could become full of holiness. Or as the prophet Jeremiah writes, um, talking about the new covenant, This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. To enter into the world of Jesus and to hunger and thirst for righteousness in the way that he does, uh, I think we need to have a new heart. This is, um, you might have heard the phrase, uh, some people describe themselves, I feel less so now, people describe themselves as a born again Christian. Um, But uh, these are all different metaphors that we use to describe what it means to follow Jesus, uh, to be born again, the new birth, um, uh, eternal life, all of these different phrases. And part of it is, is, to, uh, is to allow God to write his law on our hearts, to change our hearts. In Ezekiel, he says, I will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And I have been born again, at least I hope. <laughs> but... Um, Sometimes I think maybe I need to be born again again. That I, um, though God has softened my heart, given me a new heart, that I uh, do think my conscience has been changed, that I, I do desire to live in a way that pleases him. I do want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I find that my heart quite easily gets calloused. And I want to think about that uh, as we come into closing You might have heard of the phrase compassion fatigue. Um, I think it's very hard not to find yourself in a place like this if you live in our city, in Bradford. Um, When me and my brothers were away, uh, we got talking 
with some uh, people from Boston, and they were asking where we're from, and uh, they would say Wolverhampton, and um, one of my brothers said, yeah, it's apparently it's the second worst place to live in England, <laughs> and then my other brother went, well, Bradford's the first. <laughs> After this poll that was done a few years ago, well, I quite like both, so that's fine, but, um, but in all seriousness, there are reasons, aren't there, behind the polls, and um, I think... Uh, Oh, such a large part of it is injustice, uh, injustice within our city, uh, a, a lack of righteousness, and by that it's, it's uh, right living, living in a way that is holistic, that doesn't harm other people, that um, isn't selfish. You know, you think of the injustices towards women in Bradford, uh, they're not unique to our country, but are perhaps very bad examples to the poor, those find themselves in poverty, to children, to those of different races and cultures. Um, and in Bradford, that can be those from white communities and those from South Asian communities. It's not uh, just social, not just racial minorities that we might talk about in different cities. Uh, Injustice on our roads against vulnerable users of our roads, other drivers and cyclists, if you've ever been on a bike in Bradford, um, uh, to the addicted, the traumatized, which are often the same, same group of people, uh, to those who suffer indiscriminately from pollution. If you were at our party uh, a few weeks ago, months ago, for the King's coronation, you might have chatted with the um, active Transport Shipley Alliance or something similarly as impressively sounding um, and uh, talking about the, what that is like for us in our city. And some of us, I mean just looking out, I know some of us are at the bleeding edge of this in Bradford, in the caring professions and um, uh, social services, things like that. What does it mean for us, for you to continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness, when actually to allow yourself to, to feel everything is completely exhausting, and you're actually tired. And what would it look like even for Jesus to say, and you will be satisfied? What, what, does, what does that mean? And I think, mainly as, as uh, Jamie was suggesting earlier, is... Uh, it's an eschatological hope. It's that the kingdom one day will come in its fullness and he will wipe every tear and every injustice will end. Uh, and there will be trees of which the leaves will be for the healing of the nations. Um, and yet, what do we do in the meantime? Well, his kingdom is here and it is coming and one of the most amazing things about Bradford is the number of times, number of uh, individuals and social movements that began within our city over really the past 200 years. How we are a city who's changed the rest of our nation, has had a huge effect on prison reform, uh, welfare reform, uh, school meals for children, um, and I'm sure there's many, many more.
What does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to have a dream? As Martin Luther King did, who, who hungered and thirst for righteousness and saw change within their time. I want to finish by praying for ourselves over two things. Um, uh, when I used the phrase compassion fatigue, I saw a number of knowing looks and some nods from those uh, from, from, from us as a congregation. And I think it is um, bringing that honestly to Jesus and saying, um, Lord, I, I've done this. Uh, I, <laughs> I have to live this way to protect myself because it's exhausting. But actually inviting him to melt those parts of our hearts and to live more according to his way. Um, I often think that... Um, I make all sorts of excuses for walking past those in need um, within our city. And I know I can't stop for everyone, but the problem is, is that I often stop for no one. And um, I, I, I feel the challenge of Jesus, who seemed to have time for everyone, even when he said he was very tired. I quite like that in the Gospels, and it says Jesus was very tired. Um, and secondly, uh, by um, asking the Lord and listening to the Lord as we respond in song, is he inviting us, maybe individually or perhaps as a whole church, to partner with him in hungering and thirsting for righteousness, in having a dream of how things could be different so that as the kingdom comes, the hungers and thirsts, the desires, the dull ache and the acute pain of those that we live amongst might be satisfied. Frederick Douglass, who was um, friends with Abraham Lincoln, uh, an activist in emancipation who was born as a slave in North America and uh, became a huge advocate towards emancipation, he wrote this, something that might be quite familiar. Um, I'm not sure it's quite true that it, it's so familiar that it's a cliche, but it, it ought to be. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, and it never will. Find out just what a people will submit to, and you have found out the exact amount of injustice and wrong which will be imposed upon them. And these will continue till they are resisted, with either words or blows, or with both. It might be that the Lord is calling us into a kind of holy resistance in how we embody hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I think this is both, can be expressed in both a passive way, but also an active way as well. And I personally feel convicted in the way that I was so passionate about many things uh, as a younger person, I know you probably think, well, you're very young. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I was. It's probably a bit too ideological as well. But um, I found myself much less so now. And um, I think Jesus is full of passion, full of passion for the world, almost romantic in how he believes the world could be. The kingdom is a romantic idea, but one that we're 
called to live towards. So let's, um, uh, Jamie, if, if you prepare to lead us in song, but before we do, let's, um, let's spend a, a few moments in prayer, uh, first on that first point, uh, around compassion fatigue, that the Lord, the Lord has given us a new heart, and yet we pick up calluses, I think, in this world. And so I believe the Holy Spirit seeks to soften our hearts. And then on the second point, that the Lord might call us to partner with him, to have a dream that there would be more social change that comes out of this city. And perhaps even starting in a place called Frising Hall. Lord, we bring you our tiredness. Knowing how we ought to feel and yet honestly not feeling that way. Lord, would you cause us gently to be on a path of expanding our emotional bandwidth, of increasing our capacity for the hurting? Lord, we especially invite you now to speak to us about uh, things that we may have been passionate about in the past or perhaps new things where there is injustice happening, where someone is stamping on the foot but the mouth is not screaming. Lord, may there be dreamers amongst us. Dreamers willing to struggle and resist injustice. We respond in song. Holy Spirit, I I pray you'd carry on gently healing and also speaking. Amen.